Summer has already been filled with beach days and pool days, fun in the sun, sleeping in, sports camps, all kinds of great stuff. Summer is fun, it's exciting, and so apologies. Because I'm going to take you back to school for a little bit. You don't want to think about that right now, right? Um, but I want to take you back thinking through something that took place at school. It happened nearly every week here at Divine Savior Academy this week as I got to be involved here at the Academy. It brought back a memory for me, and so maybe it'll bring back a memory for you of your days, uh, likely in grade school. But every single chapel day here at Divine Savior Academy this past year, usually those fell on Wednesdays, every single day we'd have announcements. And during those announcements, we would ask all of the children in all the classrooms, because we're doing it online this year, and they're all in their classrooms, we asked them all to stand up. Stand up and to find in their classrooms our nation's flag, and to put their hand, their right hand, over their heart, and then to speak together these words, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Right? And as they said those words, you know, I don't know, maybe that bring back a memory for you of when you were going through grade school. It did for me. We did that in grade school. I remember saying those words. But I don't know that as a first grader, maybe even as a seventh grader, that I really understood exactly what I was saying with those words. And so maybe it would be important for us to talk about what it is that we say with those words, because there's, there's a promise and there's a commitment in those words, isn't there? When you speak those words out loud, you are saying to anybody and everybody who is within earshot that you are a patriot. That you stand behind the United States of America, that you are going to serve for the best interests of this country. And we probably have good reason to do that. Peace protection, the plurality of provided opportunities that we have in our nation. There's good reason for us to pledge our allegiance, to make that commitment and that promise. But it's probably important that we realize that we're making that commitment and promise. And so the question for you today that I want to ask you is not if you recognize that commitment and that promise, but if you recognize the commitment, the, the promise that you make in your pledge of allegiance that is the creed. Now, Jesus asked his disciples an incredibly important question when he asked them, who do you say that I am? In the second article of the Creed, it answers that question and it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, His, God's only Son, our Lord. And with those words, the Creed becomes a pledge of allegiance to Jesus. An answer that pledges its allegiance and it also is a form of rebellion because it rebels against the narratives 
of our world. And so it is incredibly important that we understand the commitment that we make as we speak those words. Jesus is the person who is absolutely central and key to the Christian faith. And so this confession, this pledge of allegiance, makes the Christian faith entirely unique. As we confess Him as Christ, we rebel against the narratives that are surrounding us in this world. We rebel against narratives like materialism. That if I get more and more stuff, and if it's the the best stuff, then I will be in great shape. And when when you confess Jesus Christ, you say, no, I don't need stuff. I don't need the best home or the best boat. I don't need the Alfa Romeo or the Maserati or Tesla or Mercedes-Benz or whatever it is sitting in my driveway. It's okay if there's a junker there. I don't need the latest, greatest iPhone 12. It's okay if I'm still rocking the 6. Right? Or I don't even have a phone. I don't need that because what I really need is Jesus. When you confess Jesus Christ, you rebel against materialism. When you confess Jesus Christ, you rebel against another narrative, individualism, that I'm the only one who really matters. That if I'm happy and I'm successful and I'm doing well and I'm pursuing my dreams and I'm, I'm being who I want to be, then everything is gravy. Because when you confess Jesus Christ, you declare Jesus bought me with his blood. I am his He reigns in my heart. And His sacrifice compels me to serve. My joy is found in selflessly, sacrificially serving the good of others. When you confess Jesus Christ, you rebel against individualism. When you confess Jesus Christ, you also rebel against this other narrative that is far too ubiquitous and destructive. The narrative of self-pity and self-loathing. The narrative that says that I I am worthless. It doesn't recognize what Jesus has done. When you confess Jesus Christ, you confess that Jesus made me worthwhile. Jesus made me valuable. Jesus honored me with his loving sacrifice. And so to confess Jesus is Christ, we rebel against those narratives of our world. We proclaim our allegiance to Christ because we know just who he is. 
And that is exactly what Jesus wanted his disciples to know and understand when he spoke to them in Matthew chapter 16. And so we heard this. We heard when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He's referring to himself. Who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. There are all these interesting options, interesting opinions that floated around about Jesus, the the narratives of his day. Because people noticed Jesus. Jesus taught with authority. He spoke as a prophet, and prophets hadn't been around for over 500 years. This guy was different. And because he was so different, so authoritative, they came up with all kinds of ideas. But the people that they mentioned were all dead. There were some heavy hitters, but they had all died. John the Baptist, he had just recently been beheaded. These guys, Jeremiah, Elijah, the other prophets, they had been long dead and gone. And so the best that human reason and intellect could come up with when faced with the person of Jesus was that he was some reincarnated prophet. But Jesus is more. He is so much more. And he desired his disciples to have the clarity to understand exactly who he was, the clarity to pledge allegiance to him. And it's, it's really interesting that Matthew tells us exactly where this took place. He said it was in the, the region of Caesarea Philippi. So this was outside of the predominantly Jewish areas in which Jesus carried out most of his ministry. But it was a beautiful, majestic landscape. And the city that had developed there, it also inspired by its structures. There were, there were palaces, there were temples, there were monuments. This, this was a crown jewel of Rome and the Roman Empire, a place where they could flex their might and their power and what they had built up. Because Rome truly was the ultimate authority at this time. And yes, there were these Jewish kings who served as the puppets of Rome. They, they put them in charge of Israel and Palestine Keep, keep the Jewish people happy, but they were really just puppets of Rome. But Herod the Great, when he served in that role, he built a temple to Caesar in the city. He didn't just paint a mural with Caesar's face on it. You know, he didn't just erect a monument or build him a palace to stay there when he came. No, he built a temple, a place in which to worship this man who claimed he was a god. And then when Herod's son Philip took over that role, he renamed the city in honor of Caesar. That's why it's called Caesarea, Caesar, Philippi, of Philip, Philip's Caesar. And so it was in that backdrop with with all of these indications of human rule and might and of earthly kings that Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? Who am I to you? 
And even as we are surrounded by all kinds of worldly powers that are vying for our attention, they are vying for our allegiance, Jesus turns to you and Jesus says to you, who do you say I am? And Peter boldly answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you're reading in other translations, Peter's answer might have been, you are the Messiah. This word Christ or Messiah, it's the same word. Messiah is the Hebrew version of it. Christ is the Greek version of it. And so when they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek, this word Christus showed up all over the place regarding Old Testament kings and prophets and priests. Because they were anointed that's what the word means. It means anointed, chosen, set apart to be leaders for God's people. But Jesus is the Christ. The one chosen, anointed, set apart by God to be the leader for His people. And Peter was tremendously blessed by God to be able to say, you are the Christ. Tremendously blessed by God to say, you are the Messiah. You are the one who has chosen and anointed to come to save God's people. You are my King. Not Caesar. Not Herod. Not anyone else. You are my King. And there is no place, no realm, no dominion, no inch where you do not stand as king over all. That's clarity. That's a clarity that the creed also expresses and parallels. You see, everyone must do something with Jesus of Nazareth. He's a historical figure, no doubt about it, that he lived exactly when the Bible says that he lived. And so you cannot be an intellectually rational being. You cannot be a thinking human who's intellectually honest and not have an opinion about Jesus. As someone I heard once put it, Jesus is not benign. You have to do something with the person of Jesus. And whether that comes from a religious standpoint or not, you have to, you have to say who he is for you. And so some will say, oh, he's a great prophet. Some will maybe say he, he was a really, really good moral teacher. Maybe even they'll say that he was a righteous and upright man. Or he was a lunatic. Or he was exactly who he said he was. Who do you say that Jesus is? And so Peter was bold. Peter was clear in his confession as he said, you are the cosmic king over all creation and you are the very son of the living God. 
When we talk about ourselves as children of God, we use the term sons of God. But Peter's words and, and what the creed says go beyond that. They declare that Jesus is the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. And there's three ways that we're going to focus on how Jesus is that unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. First of all, Jesus is the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God because He is co-eternal with God the Father. This means He has always existed And next week, you're going to get to focus on how Jesus, God himself, entered into our time and space to save us. But time and space, they cannot contain him. He is beyond it. He is co-eternal with God the Father. And Jesus Christ is the unique, one-of-a-kind son of God because he wields divine authority. Jesus spoke and demons shuddered. Jesus spoke and the wind and the waves, they bowed down in obedience. They yielded to his command. Jesus spoke and Lazarus walked out of the grave. Jesus wields divine authority. And finally, Jesus is the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God because of His proximity to the Father. This is something that we can't rationalize, we can't understand and comprehend, but it is so important for us to recognize that though Jesus is His own unique person, He is also completely united with God the Father and God the Son, our triune three-in-one God. Jesus is the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. And His uniqueness as the Son of God, it really causes us to stand in awe and in reverence of who He is. Which is why the Creed concludes this introduction to the second person of the Trinity with our Lord. When we pledge our allegiance to Him, we pledge our loyalty to Jesus as our Lord. And here it's really important to understand Jesus is our King. He is our Master, but He is not a tyrant. He is our tender, compassionate, forgiving Savior. He came into this world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He came to defeat Satan universally and in your own life. Some of you, you carry deep, heavy guilt, heavy burdens of shame. And even though you you come and you gather here for worship or you gather online and you hear these beautiful messages of, of Jesus as this loving, compassionate Savior, inwardly you argue against that and you say, not for me. 
because yeah, I, I've figured out how I can show up and I, I can blend in and worship and, and I've figured out, I, I, I know when to stand and when to sit, when the pastor gives those directions and, and I can sing a little bit and maybe off key, but still I can sing and I can join in the hymns. But, but if Jesus really knew me, if, if, if he knew the things that I've done that haunt me, the things that I still do and still say that haunt me, if he knew how much I have messed up my, my family, my life, how I've hurt people, people close to me, if I was exposed and all of that was out in the open and Jesus saw it, then there was no way that Jesus could love me. There's no way that he would want to save me. But if you think those things and, and you say those things, then you've forgotten that Jesus is the Christ. He was chosen, anointed, set apart for exactly that purpose. He came to rescue the most lost of sinners. He came to redeem the people with the greatest price on their life. He came to restore the most broken of human hearts and souls. He is the Christ. And in Jesus, there is full, complete forgiveness. So that you can live in His grace and you can live with joy and you can live with a renewed purpose and commitment to serve Him with your life and to please Him in all that you do. Because He is the Christ. And then for others of us, maybe there isn't that that inward struggle and that inward conflict. We, we love coming to worship. Oh, we love thinking of Jesus as our King and our Lord and, and the Christ. We love confessing these words of the creed. And we celebrate it with songs of praise. And that inward conflict isn't there. But maybe that's an issue too. Because maybe for us, we haven't quite grabbed hold of the reality that Jesus is our Lord. We haven't quite fully committed to Him as our King. We maybe don't have the spiritual maturity to recognize that divine authority that He wields in our own life. And so as we verbally pledge our allegiance to Him, we we fail to act on the commitment that we make. And maybe we, we fall into an abuse of God's grace and a denial of His Lordship by our actions. A faith that confesses Christ's supremacy, His kingship, His Lordship, it'll move us to change in our lives. To remember that He is our King. Because sometimes we live as if we are our own kings 
I'm sorry to break it to you, but there is a better king than yourself. And his name is Jesus. And as we grow in that understanding, as we grow in following after the the commitment that we speak, as we pledge our allegiance to him, then, then we too will be renewed with purpose and energy and joy in our life. When Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ, he was remarkably blessed because God had revealed that to him. And when we speak the words of the creed, we too are remarkably blessed. When we act on this commitment that we pledge, we are remarkably blessed because that is something that God needs to work in our own hearts. He needs to overcome our hearts through the power of his word and the Holy Spirit. To make this confession, to to speak this pledge of allegiance to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Through that faith, God's own power overcomes and releases the grip that those worldly narratives want to have on our life. And we can rejoice in what Jesus said. Regarding that confession of faith that Peter made, Jesus declared, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, hell itself, will not overcome it. There are so many reasons that we have to pledge our allegiance to Christ. His peace, his protection, his forgiveness, the opportunities he gives us to serve, the hope and the joy that come when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord.